welcome to Have You Got Your Shit Together with me, Caitlin O'Ryan, the podcast that celebrates not having your shit together. I want to say a massive thank you for all the lovely messages that we received about Nora's episode. On today's episode, we have Michael Fenton Stevens. He is an English actor and comedian. He's best known for being a founding member of the Heebie-Jeebies and the voice behind the spitting image 1986 number one hit, The Chicken Song. He's acted in TV shows such as BBC's My Family, Ghosts, Only Fools and Horses, Outnumbered, and ITV's Benidorm, where he played Sir Henry from season four onwards. He's also done loads of theater and is a very successful pantomime dame. As well as this, he hosts his own brilliant podcast called My Time Capsule, where he asks guests for five things they'd like to put in a time capsule. He kindly asked me to be a guest on his, so of course, I had to return the favor. Michael was so lovely and warm, and I really appreciated how he opened up to me about his experience of loss and grief in the episode. He's also very funny, so prepare to fall in love with Michael Fenton Stevens. I'm so grateful to have you on the show um, and I can't wait to get to know you a bit more because it was such a privilege talking to you last week. How do you feel about um, being in the interview e-seat? Well, you would think, I, you'd think it would suit me better because actually, you know, as an actor and, and not all actors are show-offs, but I am. <laughs> I have to admit, I've always been a show-off. I, I have no qualms at all about <laughs> jumping up and off I go. Yeah. If somebody says, Mike, say something, I will talk. <laughs> I, I love it. I like doing things in the public. I'm mm -hmm. not at all embarrassed by things. Yeah. Uh, maybe too much so, in fact. <laughs> My wife is always saying that that's the case, oh, that, that I have no ability to realise when I'm being embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't filter it at well, all. Well, that makes you a perfect guest, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here we go. OK, so on a scale of shit to together... Mm -hmm. How are you feeling today? That's a very good question. Today, when I feel as I feel somewhat more organised mm -hmm. than I did a week ago, right? Which is always yeah. You can judge it in those sort of timescales, can't you? I think. And why do you think that is? Um, about a week ago, I was sort of panicking a bit mm -hmm. because I do my podcast. Yeah. There are always moments in it where you think oh, God, we've got to have that ready and we've got to do this and, and that's got to... I've got to find more people. Yeah. I've got to talk to people. I've got to record more programmes. Mm. It's supposed to go out and, and they're all supposed to be really good and everybody keeps telling me they like them, yeah. you know, and so I've got to do one as good as that. Oh, no, you know, mm. and you absolutely... I spent much of Christmas panicking that I didn't have stuff ready for the new year, that I didn't have yeah. guests and I didn't have people... And I think I sort of slightly badgered people over Christmas. <laughs> are you able to do it in the new year? Would you be willing to do it? And you, these are people doing you a favour. I know, I know. So it's very difficult to it be is. pushy yeah. in that situation. Yeah. And I, um, so a, a week ago, I was full of those sort of fears and that sort of panic. And actually, in that time, certain things have happened and I've, I've done some recordings and they've been really lovely yeah. and I'm looking forward to them going out and just having that bank of work behind you and those things ready. And, you know, professionally, work has come in that I didn't expect to come in mm -hmm. and work that I'd auditioned for before Christmas has, has come off yeah. uh, and I've got things I've got to do. And now 
of course, I'm beginning to feel as if I don't have my shit together because I've got too much to do. Yeah, it's so funny, isn't it? It's like the scarcity and then when you have too much all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, I think New Year, there is that real end of something and then when you're going into the New Year, there's that panic to make sure that everything is in place for the yes. coming year. That kind of thing that we tell ourselves in January that you have to have your shit together at that point. Yeah, yeah well, of course, any self-employed person, January is a time that, sends them into a, a spin of panic yeah. because we have to have our accounts ready. And I can oh tell you now, whatever date it is in the middle of January, I don't. <laughs> well, you have just reminded me that I need to get on that too, so thank you very oh, much. it's hopeless. I Why? Why are every year January is full of that, yeah, yeah, every time when <laughs> I go to bed, the last thing I say to myself is tomorrow I'm going to get all my accounts done and send it to my accountant. It's very simple. I've been doing this since last April. I was like, I'll just send it immediately and I'll, <laughs> and I'll be laughing. Exactly. <laughs> Why do we do it? It's, it's crazy. Yeah, but that's a typical example of how, you know, you would think, well, you're a professional. I'm a pro I do this for a living and I've done it for a living for 40 years, mm. more. So surely I know how to do it. And yet I make the same mistake I made when I was 18, 19, you know. I mean, I was, I've been investigated twice oh by, by the tax people because my accounts were so messy. Wow. And I once was fined. They doubled the oh amount I had gosh. to pay because no I was so, way. I mean, negligent. I was just, I just went, oh, I forgot to put those in. Yeah, I did. I, oh, oh, yeah, and no, I did do that job. Useless. Wow, wow. Yeah. Last year, I left it so last minute. I left <laughs> it till the 31st of January. And yeah, that is, yeah. Literally sent the money at two minutes to midnight, right? <laughs> and the website crashed. Yeah. Right? So Along it, with the rest of us all the doing money the same didn't thing. go through. So I then panicked and I sent it again. And oh, then no. three days later, the money came out of my account. So I paid my tax twice. Oh, my God. I know. And you, you can't get it back. I actually managed to. I got, I, you did? Yeah, my accountant sawed it out. But, like, oh, I was, it was horrendous. Like, suddenly I, I looked at my account and I was like, oh, that was double <laughs> as much as I thought. But that was just me being so not organised. I've happened. overpaid on tax a, a number of times yeah. out of panic. Yeah. And without fail, they've always said to me, well, that's all right, we'll put that against your next tax payment. And you go, no, <laughs> that's a year away. Yeah, they do oh, that as well, no. don't they? No interest. They just hang on to it. God, awful. Mm. So having said that then, what yeah. does having your shit together mean to you? Well, it means doing the things that I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm really, and we all know what they are. We all have lists of things that can either hang around or we're one of those people who writes a list and then does them, <laughs> which yeah. seems a very simple choice, doesn't it? It does. Shall I be yeah. the person who knows there's a list there? I haven't quite sorted <laughs> it out, but in my head I know what it is, and yet I'm pretending it's not really there. Yeah. Or, in fact, it doesn't matter because I will definitely do it tomorrow. Yeah. That makes me one of those the people. The never-ending tomorrow. I am on that list. Yeah. I am absolutely that person yeah. who knows that these things are coming and knows they need to be done. The only thing that I'm organised with, and so thank goodness for that, is my podcast. Wow. Because I feel an obligation to my son, who I work with, on it. Someone's holding mm. you accountable, I guess. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I so know helpful. if I don't do it, I'll be letting him down. Yeah. So I've, I feel that I have, to, I have to take care over that. Yeah. And, and also, I feel a responsibility to the people... You know, I started it. 
I put it out there as a thing that people might listen to, and now people do. Yeah. And I'm aware that some people, amazingly and really quite movingly, rely on it. Yeah. They actually really look forward to it coming out, and yeah. they listen to it devotedly. Mm. And, and that's such an honour, yeah. I think, to have that situation. So, yeah, I feel that I have to do that the best I can. Mm. But my own personal life, rubbish. <laughs> Terrible. What you were saying about lists made me laugh because I think I fall into the category of someone who writes lists as a distraction from the <laughs> things that I have to do. And just in writing the list, it feels like an achievement. I don't <laughs> achieve anything on the list. No, look at that list. <laughs> yeah. I know what I need to do. Yeah. The chaos in my head has been put onto paper. Um, <laughs> And that's as far as I'll go. <laughs> Have you ever written a list of lists? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> right, so list one, that's, yeah. um, that's work. Yeah. And list two, that's relationships. Yeah. <laughs> so I also asked you to prepare an object that makes you feel like you have your shit together. Ah, yes. It makes me feel like it. But actually, there's, I was thinking about it this morning and I went and looked at it because I, felt, I feel quite proud about it. Mm -hmm. And it's a place that I like taking people. It's actually a room. Okay, amazing. Uh, yes, it's my dining room. Wow. Which is absolutely set up to be a place to dine. Lovely. It has a very large table, mm -hmm. which takes up most of the room. I can seat, well, I have seated 20 people. Wow. Mm, that's tight. Have you had all the odd chairs, like a stool? Oh, every like... chair is odd. <laughs> I, I, I deliberately have them odd. They're oh, ones that I nice. picked up in, in charity shops yeah. and things. Like, they're all nice. They're all interesting chairs, mm. but they're all different. Yeah. Uh, the table is one of those extendable tables, so you can make it so it fills the entire room, mm -hmm. or you can have it as an intimate table. Uh, it's rather lovely, and it's in the basement of my house, mm. adjacent to the kitchen, so perfect for serving. The food gets cooked there, gets brought through. It, it, it's um, it's a sort of a quite a, an ancient dark green. So it's 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 <gasps> good. it nice. works well with the the lighting in being in a basement. You don't mm. get lots of sunlight. You you can do. I've also got more glasses in it than you can ever imagine. <laughs> if ever I put a photograph of it on uh, Instagram or Twitter or anything mm. like that, people say, "Have you got enough glasses?" Because <laughs> I have a, a fireplace. It has a fireplace with a, a stove in it, one mm. of those sort of um, a stove that you can heat. So that's rather lovely. It's an wow. old bread oven, in fact. Oh. But, yeah. And then above it, I have a, a large gilded mirror. And then in front of that, I have about 30 really lovely champagne glasses wow. with decanters as well. <gasps> Very nice. and, and then I have another cupboard which is completely full of glasses mm. and then I have shelves which have the using glasses you know the <laughs> ones we use regularly and there are three of those so they're full of things and each one of them has lighting running along it at the bottom mm. so that when I turn the lights on they all light up Amazing. It is amazing. Yeah, that sounds like a showstopper of a room. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And there are a lot of paintings on the wall, most of them done by my mm. a friend of mine who's no longer with me, so they're rather lovely mm. and they remind me of her. Wow. And then it has cupboards and in the corner is a large old French wine rack. Oof. And it's always full. Wow. Uh, with, you know, I make sure that it's always full. Yeah. Uh, well, that so, feels very grown up. It, it certainly yeah. does. You would think that that is absolutely 
somebody's got their shit together. <laughs> this is a man who knows how to entertain. Yeah. I would hope that I do know how to entertain people when they come. Mm. But at the same time, I'm very bad at organising, getting people to come. I used to be really good at it, but actually really? I think maybe this is a lockdown thing, mm. that actually I sort of feel that I've lost the ability to say to people, just, well, just come. Hop just over. come, you know, let, like yeah. this Sunday. What are you doing this Sunday? Yeah. Let's have lunch or mm. let's have dinner. You'll, well, come to our place, let's mm. have dinner. It's easy. Yeah. And I've got the wine, I've got the table, and yeah. cooking is easy. You just mm. cook something and off you go. Yeah. And then there's a lovely evening. But um, the other side of it that I realised this morning is that over the years, I've seen things in, in charity shops or in second-hand shops or that sort of thing and thought, oh, that's pretty, that's nice, and I've bought them. Mm -hmm. And I now have every single cupboard in that room is so rammed <laughs> with things that to a large extent I don't even know what they are. Wow. You know, I have cutlery and I have yeah. crockery that I've not looked at since, well, for 40 years maybe. Mm -hmm. you know, and it, it, I know it's in there. And they're really nice things. And yeah. they're all sort of, you know, really nice designers and makers and things that I've found. And I thought, oh, I love Susie Cooper. <laughs> yeah. so is it, and it's at the bottom somewhere, mm. these really lovely plates. And I, it's too much for me to get to them. There is something about hosting, isn't there, that makes makes you feel really grown up like <laughs> I remember like the very first times that I started hosting like dinner parties and getting all my friends around and taking pride in the food that I was cooking them and it's like extending mm. your compassion and care to the people that you love isn't it <laughs> yes yeah but the, the, you're right about it making you feel older mm. making you feel adult yeah that the idea first of all that you've got somewhere yeah that you can invite people to that is yours yeah so even if it's your first flat yeah bringing people around and cramming them in mm -hmm. in, in a way those meals are they're more fun in your mind, looking back. Yeah. It's strange how, as time goes on, you feel that you need to be offering people more comfort or more luxury. Mm. They need to have more space. Yeah. I was talking to somebody about this the other day, saying that I live in a quite a large house. Mm -hmm. It's a townhouse, mm -hmm. which means that it's got lots of rooms in it. They're all about the same size. It just goes up and just keeps going, and they're all <laughs> the same size, mm -hmm. one room above another. Uh, so the size of my dining room is the size of my living room yeah. and the side of my, size of my bedroom. Mm -hmm. It just goes up through the house. Um, but I still, I feel now, and it's a stupid thing to feel, that I don't, I can't invite that many people around because where are they all going to go? Wow. They can't all go in one room. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas when you're young, everyone just like mucks in, in and yeah, ten in a bed. And every party <laughs> yeah. I've ever had here has been every room and you sort yeah. of squeeze your way down the stairs past people and you mm. go into the kitchen, it's crammed. And people love don't... that, don't they? They're they just do. happy to be in that situation. Yes, quite. Yeah. Particularly after the after what we've been through, to the idea of the joy of being in a room full of people is is great. But I wonder if like your consciousness about space is from that and how we were all needing space from each other so the thought of cramming everyone in feels less caring maybe which isn't the case but maybe it may be it may be sort of in a way a sort of a an unthought of jealousy you know that I have friends who have made more money than me and have mm. larger houses and mm. when they have parties they have I've got one friend who has a house in Islington and what was the garden is now his kitchen. Oh my gosh. They raised the garden a level. Wow. So in fact they took the entire garden and put uh -huh. it on the roof of this enormous no sort way. of New York style mm -hmm. open kitchen, which is huge. So I've been in there with two hundred people having wow. drinks. Wow. And it still feels not that full. <laughs> so, 
So it's amazing. And yeah. then it's got this huge house attached to it. Yeah. And so in your mind, you think, oh, well, that's what people will expect. But it's not at all. Not at all, no. No, no. It's, it's a stupid way to feel. And they're just happy to be there, aren't they? They're just happy yeah. to be social. It's a prime example of how you can fool yourself into thinking you're being an adult. Mm. And in fact, what you're doing is you're being a fool. Yeah. And it's like you spend your life wanting to own a house or something like that, and yet you still compare it to the next one, and the next one is, you know... Yeah. That's human nature, isn't it, And well? there's not a single person who's ever visited my house who hasn't said, what a lovely house. Could you please tell me about a time in your life where you felt like you really had your shit together? Yeah, I can. It, it's strange because it was a time when, in fact, everything was happening by accident. So, indeed, really, I didn't have my shit together. It was a complete coincidence. But it's when everything seems to fall into place mm-hmm. without you making any great effort. Mm-hmm. And you think to yourself, well, I'm, I'm charmed almost. Yeah. I, I can't do any wrong. Mm-hmm. I'd left university and... I'd done a show at the Edinburgh Festival with some student friends of mine. Mm-hmm. And in that show, we sang a song that after only a week of us performing it, somebody offered us a record deal. Oh, no way. Can you make an album? Wow. And uh, we said, yeah. Uh-huh. And they then, uh, somebody else then came along and said, would you like to do this show on Radio 4? Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll give you a series. So we got a comedy series on Radio 4 and a record deal from doing Edinburgh. Wow. Uh, And then we, somebody said, would you like to tour it? So we said, okay. So I was at this point, I was supposed to finish and go off and do the job I was supposed to do, which is I was trained to be a lawyer. Oh, wow. And I was offered this this chance to, you know, travel around the country Mm -hmm. with my friends, doing silly things. Yeah. Making people laugh, earning money. Yeah. Having fun. Uh, I also straight out of college, uh, asked my wife. Now, I made... I, w- this is a complicated story because when I first went out with my wife, apparently, mm-hmm. and I don't remember this, but she swears it's true, the first night we we were together, um, I said to her, when we get married... <laughs> now, that would put most people off, I should imagine. Yeah. But it didn't put her off. Wow. She just went, oh, interesting. Wow, and, forwards. <laughs> and, yeah, but I was so certain, wow. I was so certain about it mm-hmm. that it seemed a, a natural thing to say. And, uh, you know, then we, we were together all through college and we lived together there and then we moved to London straight after this Edinburgh thing. Yeah. And we moved in with the two two of the people who were from the show that I was doing, the review mm-hmm. that we were doing, uh, that we were also doing the radio show with and the, the two people who were the other members of the band that I was in. God. So... <laughs> Everything seemed perfect. Yeah. We, they had a, come live in our flat in, you know, in Arsenal, yeah. in Finsbury Park. It was just fabulous. Gosh. It was leafy London. It was exciting. We were working all the time. Wow. We, everybody was offering us work all the time. Somebody said, we're opening a new club. It's called The Comic Strip. Uh, would you do us the honour of coming and being there for the wow. opening night? So we said, yeah, sure, we come sing the song. So we turned over The Comic Strip and the other people on the act were... Uh, Rick Mayle and Aid Edmondson and mm. Nigel Planer and Alexis Sale and those people. 
I know I'd met them for the first time and we performed. It all seemed absolutely natural to be doing these things. Oh, they said, oh, would you like a residency? We said, OK. So we joined and we performed there regularly mm. with them. We were also touring. We were going on television shows. We were doing our own radio pilot and then we did our own radio series. We had a tour of Great Britain and somebody said, would you like to go to Australia? Oh we God. said, OK, yeah, sure. So they said, OK, fine, then we'll do that in February. So off we flew to Australia. Wow. Um, and I went off to Australia for, in February, leaving my wife <laughs> and said bye-bye. I'll see you in about three months. Oh, my God. But two months, actually, I came back, and almost immediately we got married. Wow. Because just before I went, we went to see, uh, this seems weird, but we went to see Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason we went to see it is because that was a time where if you wanted to watch a Disney film, you had to wait for them to re-release it in the cinema. No way. Yeah, you, it wasn't on the telly. You couldn't mm-hmm. get a DVD. There weren't DVDs. No. There weren't videos. No Netflix. Nothing. Yeah. It wasn't there. So you couldn't, you know, I'd seen it as a child. Mm-hmm. It was re-released in Shaftesbury Avenue on a, in a wow. theatre or something. And we said, let's go and see it. So, you know, all these adults went to relive their childhood. <laughs> and afterwards we were in a pub and, uh, again, she was chatting about that thing and saying it's amazing how quickly, you know, things have changed and moved on. And she said, and you were the one who said, you know, when, when we get married. And I said, well, when do you want to get married? She said, April the 1st. Wow. And I laughed. And then I said, OK. <laughs> April Fool's? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it turned out we couldn't get married on yeah. April the 1st. The church was booked. But we uh, got married on May the 2nd. Wow. And, uh, and I said, OK. And then I went to the loo. And I, I was standing at the loo and a man came and stood next to me. And I, I said, I just got engaged. And he went, oh, wow. congrats. He said, I'd shake your hand, but I, I don't think it's appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is a rather long-winded yeah. way of saying that that everything in my life seemed to be absolutely extraordinary. You know, yeah. I mean, I just went from one thing to another mm. to another. We were recording the album in a place called Strawberry Studios in 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 Stockport, just mm-hmm. outside of Manchester, mm-hmm. uh, which is where Ten CC recorded a lot of their stuff. Mm. A band called Ten CC and lots of other famous songs were recorded there. Uh, it was a brilliant thing to be doing, just going into the recording studio. It was ours completely. Mm. It wasn't like we had set hours. We had the proper pop star experience of this is our studio mm. for a month. Wow. So we'll just, you know, we can stay there as long as we like. We can stay all night if we want to. We can, you know, get drinking. We had wow. a whale of a time. Yeah. Absolute whale of a time Gosh. recording this stuff, laughing and thinking of stuff. Uh, Richard Curtis wrote the, a lot of the lyrics for it, so no he was way. there most of the time. Uh, we And in the middle of it, on a Thursday evening, we finished recording one evening, and I got on a late train and went to Oswestry in Shropshire mm-hmm. uh, from Manchester, and uh, that weekend I got married. Wow. Gosh. And my friends came, drove over, and we yeah. were on a fantastic party. And then we went back. I spent three days in Paris with my wife, and then we went back and finished the album. Wow. So you can imagine how that would make you feel as if, bloody hell, I've got my shit together. Sounds like the glory days, that. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, I have no idea how it happened. <laughs> I, I, I can claim no responsibility for any of it. It's interesting that you were studying to be a lawyer. Like, did mm. you ever anticipate that your life would go that way? 
Uh, completely. Yeah. I mean, that was it, absolutely what I was going to yeah. do. My father was, uh, well, I say he was a solicitor, but actually he was a solicitor's clerk. He never qualified as a solicitor. Mm. He was discouraged as a young man. Oh, you don't need to do that. Yeah. You, you stay as a clerk. So he never really earned the money he should have done. But he was without doubt, and I can say this without doubt, because I was told by Lord Hutchinson, Jeremy Hutchinson, who was one of the greatest barristers this mm. country's ever had, uh, that my father was the best instructing solicitor he'd ever had wow. and that he owed his career to him. Uh, so it was he had an amazing career, my yeah. father. And it, I really, absolutely, you know, I, I finished. I was quite happy to work in the law. I had a place set up for me. Oh, I was talking to him about possible, the possibility of going and becoming a barrister because I quite like the idea of the performing yeah. involved in that. Well, lots of actors go into that, don't they? Mm, yeah. yeah, vice versa. Mm. Uh, it, and so uh, that was a possibility. It was all ready. In fact, he'd spoken to uh, Chambers and a, and a QC that he knew, right. and they were willing to take me on, and I never came back. And you I, just fell I, into the arts. I fell into the arts That's and stayed so... in it, and that wow. was it. Wow. God. And I've had a brilliant time. Yeah, how amazing. So you would think, yes, yeah. this is a man, God, look at him, he, you know, his life. And, and my career has been... Uh, extraordinary, yeah. really. I mean, when I look back on it, I mean, no, nobody. There are many people who might look at it and go, "Well, you didn't become as famous as you could have done, or you didn't do as much work as you could have done." Well, I'm not sure I could have done much more work. But you know what? I look at your career as like a young actor, and it's exactly the kind of career that I want. Like just working and working, like yeah. respected, and you know, <laughs> you know. I, I'm not sure whether the fame aspect of it would... I mean, yeah, it'd be nice sometimes, but actually, yeah, yeah. like, the consistency of good work mm. is all anyone can ask for, really, in this industry. Yeah, I think you're right. Absolutely, you will get those jobs that, for a while, will make you notorious. Yeah. In as much as people will recognise you. Mm. It's astonishing how quickly that fades. But that and, can be limiting and... as well to your lifestyle, can't it? Like, yeah. yeah. You can be misled by that as well. Yeah. You can be misled into thinking it's important, yeah. which it absolutely isn't. Yeah. And it really, you know, I mean, anybody who's fortunate enough to have that sort of regard, which is enjoyable, I've always mm. found it enjoyable. I know other people who find it a curse, yeah. hate being recognised, hate mm. people knowing who they are. I don't mind at all. Yeah. As I said, I'm a show-off. You know, so, <laughs> so I don't mind people saying, are you, I am, yeah, you want me to Gosh. do a bit? I'll do it for yeah. you. You want me to sing a song? Mm. I don't care. <laughs> you know, so that's, it's fun for me, all that. The, I look at the paths I could have gone down. I, mm. I think about them sometimes, thinking, why? I remember him saying, let's write together or whatever, yeah. and people who've gone on to do extraordinary things. Uh, but uh, I was never really particularly concerned about my career. Mm. I've never been, I've never put it first. Right in my life. Uh, I've always put my family first. Mm. So, in fact, I, I'm the sort of person who, when I should have stayed for drinks with so-and-so, who would have got me a job in something or other, or may have, it may have led that direction, yeah. those sort of networking jobs, those sort of networking experiences, I've mm. always been terrible at. Yeah. I say, oh, I'd, yeah, I'd love to go for a pint, but I've got to get back. It's bath yeah. night. My <laughs> kids are having a bath, or, or, or my, you know, mm. I'm going to pick the kids up from school. Any of those things, mm. they would always take precedent in my yeah. mind. So, you know, I would I would drive back from being on tour. I'd finish the show on a Saturday night and always get in the car almost anywhere I was. You know, I've done I've done it from Glasgow. Wow. Drive home to Kent God. in order to be there for Sunday morning. Yeah. So that's my priority. That's where my shit, yeah. I think, has been together. Yeah. I would never claim to have been a great father. Mm. You know, and in fact, 
strangely, my children, I think, when I talk to them about it, remember me not being there. Mm. As I think children do. Yeah. It doesn't matter how often you are. Well, they just it's... want all of you, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. And if they're doing something important, if they're doing a school play or they're doing mm. a, you know, whatever, playing a game of football, and, and you can't be there because you have to go off to work, then they remember those rather than the number of times that you oh. would have been there. So yeah. I mean, it's fair enough. Yeah. You know, but I mean, because I'm a man who doesn't have his shit together, <laughs> I'm not a great parent. You need to be organised. You mm. need to be organising their life and making it easy for them, whereas yeah. I never did. Mm. You know, I, they, there are many times... All those things they should have done. My son is a very talented musician, mm. plays a guitar extremely well. Nothing to do with me. <laughs> I didn't get him lessons. I didn't, you know, I may have bought the first guitar mm. thinking, well, he'll put that down in 10 minutes because that's what I'd do. But I'm, I'd be... sure, I'm sure there's elements from your life and your career that has probably influenced him without you even realising, like, you know, l being able to look to someone who has achieved a career within the arts is inspiring as well. Well, I think that it gives you that sense that you don't necessarily have to have what is what people would regard as normal employment yeah, yeah. in order to live life. Mm -hmm. And that you don't necessarily have to be concerned about how long you're employed for. Yeah. I mean, I think the longest I've ever been employed in one single job is about seven months mm -hmm. in my entire life. Yeah. And that was an extraordinary thing to be doing that for seven months. Yeah, and, of course, yeah, yeah. while I was doing that play, yeah. I also did another... 40 jobs yeah. you know, during the day. So there's probably something quite freeing for a child to look at his parent who still hasn't done his tax returns. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Fortunately, yeah. I have a very organised and very skillful wife <laughs> who on many occasions I've gone, this bill's come in and I have to wow. pay it. I, I owe this money. And she goes, mm. right, good. And she's had a great skill of ta just taking yeah. bits of money away and putting them away somewhere. Well, what do they you say know? behind every great man? <laughs> oh, actually, yeah. definitely. Yeah. OK, well, in opposition then, um, mm -hmm. can you talk about a time in your life where you definitely didn't have your shit together? <sighs> you see, the, the problem is I feel as if that's my life. <laughs> But um, I don't know. I mean, I think the time when I really didn't have my shit mm. together was the time that maybe it looked as if I'd had it together the most. Okay. And and those are the tragic moments in your life, mm. you know. So when my when my mother died, mm. when my father died, there was an element to it where I sort of expected it, or in fact, you know, he'd been unwell and he'd gone in for an operation. And they were going to remove a leg. And oh. at the last minute, they, the surgeon changed his mind in the operating theatre and oh. thought that he could save his leg if he moved one of the veins and changed the flow of the blood to his foot, as it were, which was the problem. And uh, so as a result of that, he then, the next day when I saw him, was cock-a-hoop. You know, he'd, he'd, his leg hadn't gone... He felt great, mm. which was morphine to a large extent, yeah. uh, and said, it's brilliant. Look, I've got no pain. I can move my foot. Look, my foot's bread. It's got blood in it. It's amazing. Mm. And then the, that night he had a massive heart attack and, oh, and died, yeah. which may well have been as a result of the, the fact that everything changes and yeah. the added pressure on his heart. Yeah. I don't know. So, But I, I, I coped with it quite well, actually, I think. And they're the things, they're the moments where you think, actually, I'm going to really fall apart. Yeah. You know, 
everything else, work and all those things, they're not particularly relevant. Those moments, you realise that somebody else is relying on you. And, of course, I had my mother to rely on me. My mother needed me and my brothers to be organised mm -hmm. and to make sure everything happened properly. Yeah. And I wrote the... Um, I wrote the eulogy for his funeral. I organised the funeral, made sure people were coming, organised catering, everything. Did everything that was necessary, made sure my mother was OK. It was when my mother died that actually I, I think that I looked as if I had my shit together, but I really didn't. Right. Uh, she died really suddenly and rather tragically, my mother. She was an extraordinary woman who was always doing things for people. One of those old people who says, I'm going to look after the old woman down the road and the old yeah. woman is 75 and she's 86. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That sort of woman. Yeah. Uh, she was off to do the hair of, I'm going to do the old woman's hair, she said. Mm. So she would go and drive to this woman's house and set her hair in curlers. And, oh, wow. and, you know. and I don't think this woman is any older than my mother. <laughs> uh, and she was driving down a country lane and uh, it was blocked by um, somebody had fly-tipped and the country lane was blocked. So she tried to back up and a, a dust cart came behind her uh, and they said to her, can you move out of the way? You know, you go into that siding. So they wanted her to back her car into a, a little... Um, well, into the entrance to a field, really. And she said, there's not room here. I can't see what I'm doing. I, I can't do it. Mm. And one of the people on the, the dust cart got off and said, I'll move your car for you. Get out. I'll do it. So she got out of the car. Uh, he says that the car then lurched back and hit her. And uh, we suspected at the time that he'd got in the car. It was an automatic car. I can't right. really see how that could happen. Anyway, it's not worth going into the details of it. it nobody was ever convicted of anything. Yeah. But the car went back, hit her, knocked her down. She hit her head and uh, within a, a few hours had had an enormous bleed on her brain and Gosh, died. I'm so sorry. So it was very sudden and very tragic. Yeah. Um, and it was... It was it was really shocking, in the sense that, you know, as people get older, you know that there is a time that's coming, but you don't expect it to be now. No. You never do. No. And uh, I was doing a play. I got a phone call. Somebody said, the police are on the phone. I'm, what? So I went to the police. They said, are you the son of Olive Stevens? And I said, yeah. They said, well, she's had an accident. She's in hospital. I said, how serious is the accident? And they said, it's, it's very serious. I went, Okay. So then I spoke to my brothers and we all met at the hospital and it was very clear that she was, well, fundamentally, she was dead. Right. But um, they were keeping her alive with equipment. Mm -hmm. um, again, we, you know, I was very calm. I didn't, I don't remember crying particularly. I said to the, the doctor, sorry, uh, before we go any further, is my mother dead? I mean, by, you know, for all intents and purposes, is she actually dead? Yeah. If you took those machines away, she'd be dead, wouldn't she? And he said, well, uh, I said, no, please be honest mm. with me. And he said, yes, she, she has no, no brain signals at all. I said, right, OK. So we then waited. Uh, we organised for a priest to come because she was very religious, my mother. Mm. And uh, he came and said mass for her. And then, then they turned it off. And I then said, right, I'm going back to the theatre. And I, I went to go back, and everybody said, what are you doing? I said, well, I've got a play to do tonight. Yeah. So that would make you think, well, this is a man who's really coping with this incredibly well. But, of course, I was in shock, really. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And uh, they said, well, you can't. You can't do it. I did go back the next night, 
Actually, they did one show without me, and I went back the next night and did it. And then halfway through the show, I had to sing this great song, this sad song, and absolutely overwhelmed me. I just yeah. I fell apart God. on the stage, which was very weird, because yeah. normally on stage, that's where you're most in control. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and yet that was the only occasion where, where I cried for a long time. I felt, you know, there was all sorts of things to sort out, as there are and always in these situations. It's the yeah. worst time for these things to happen. You know, you sort of go, what a shame that I have to do this now yeah. with all that on my yeah. back. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I managed to do all that, and we organised funerals, we organised yeah. people coming, we organised the house and the contents and all those things and the sale of the house, uh, you know, what to do with what was left. Yeah. It was, it's very weird, and then... Just sometime after it, I was just sitting watching the television and absolutely I thought I was going to explode. Wow. I, 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 said, I stood up and went to my wife, oh, sorry, and I went outside and I, I stood outside of my house and I, I cried like I've never cried. Mm. I've never cried like it in my life. I wailed. Yeah. Do you know those where you see people do it and you think, well, that's a bit much, isn't it? <laughs> If you see people act it, yeah, and they do, they scream but it's it the, with the agony of it. Yeah, the pits of grief. Yeah, yeah. You you think you think oh, you couldn't possibly do that, and and yet I I absolutely I could I couldn't stand. Yeah, sobbing that it was astonishing, Gosh. and it's the only time in my life has ever happened, mm. and uh, and so I would say that was the time. Sorry to be quite so... Uh, no, so... Thank, you, thank you for sharing that with me. Honestly. Well, I think it's, you know, I mean, for anybody who's not been through yeah. the death of a parent, I mean, I, I, I have, I've never been through the death of somebody younger than me. Yeah. Luckily. Yeah. You know, but uh, a parent is, is hard enough, even though you expect it, everybody should. Yeah. You know? But you also don't, do you? No. Like, yeah. No, you don't. And it's weird. It's weird how, in those moments of grief, your body—it's—it's it's a classic thing of you can't judge what, how you react to something like that because death is so incomprehensible. Even if you're anticipating it to a degree or something like that, when it comes, there's no mm. preparing for that loss. No, um, for what it actually means. No, and like, I think you go into this um, autopilot version of yourself mm. like what you say with your father for example when you had to take on you know you felt like you had to take on roles and of the mm. support and stuff like that and you fall into this autopilot um getting getting shit done basically yeah um but with your mother it sounded so surprising and shocking that you know yeah but also it felt final yeah. you know it felt as if that whole thing was over mm. and therefore everything associated with it I just wanted to walk away from it. Yeah. I just wanted to not be there mm. with any of it. Yeah. I didn't want to be at the house. No. I didn't want to sort out what was going to happen, all no. the knickknacks and all the no. clothes and all those. I didn't want to do it, mm. but it has to be done. Yeah. And it, it, so you do it because you, you know you've got to do it, but yeah. really inside you're saying just you just want to run. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, I, you know, I, I only say it because, you know, in a way to forewarn people, oh, yeah. because you know we all go through it yeah. at some point, Absolutely. something like that. Yeah. And uh, it's and and I would never judge anybody on how they react. Oh no, you know. I mean, you often see that thing where people say, "Well, I thought they were guilty because they just didn't cry." Do you remember that? They didn't yeah. cry. Yeah. 
Yeah. You could tell they were, you know, what, if your wife's been murdered, yeah, I yeah. always thought he did it. Yeah. In a, you know, in a, in a drama on the telly. And you yeah, go, yeah, well, yeah. actually, I have a feeling that may well be the way I'd react. Yeah. Oh, you know, when, when, my, when my grandma's passed away, like, I laughed at mm. first. Just mm-hmm. and I, I remember when I got told, I, I started like smiling and almost laughing, but it was almost like a nervous response because I couldn't comprehend the weight of what I was being told. Yeah. And then quite quickly, it's like the funeral, and it's you know, my dad's Irish. We spoke about it on your podcast, but mm. um, when my grand passed away in Ireland with a Catholic funeral, it's very much like she died on the Friday, she was in the ground on the Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's very fast and you don't have time to process that grief. And I, I saw my dad just kind of in autopilot getting it all done. And then it's months, sometimes years later, it just exists in your body and mm-hmm. then it just explodes, as you said. And yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So be, be watch out for it, yeah. I think. When yeah. you think, oh, I'm through that now. But be That's kind it. to yourself as well in, in the way in which you experience it. And, yeah, and others around you, I think, if yeah. people are going through those things, be aware that, that it may happen, yeah. that actually it's a long process. Mm. Yeah. Or, or one that people never get through. Some people never get through it. Yeah. You know, they, they, It's a subject that they, they tuck away in a little corner, but it's never gone. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. That's um, that's a funny answer, isn't it? <laughs> well, thank you. No, thank you, honestly, for opening up to me like that. Because I think <laughs> it is really important that people are aware of of these things, and you know, someone will listen to this and have experienced something similar, and it'll be really helpful for them. So, mm. thank you yeah. for that. Well, good, and also I think, it, as we were saying earlier, if anybody judges you on uh, how often you've been on the telly, you sort of go, <laughs> "Really? I yeah. don't care." Hey, Aunt. Hey. You do a great job in editing this podcast, might I say. If people like the podcast, what do they need to do? Like it. What else? Follow it on social media. And then what? They could share it with every single person they know. Thanks, Ant. You can go back to your corner now. Bye. In counter to that, then, Mm -hmm. three things that make you feel like shit. (laughs) (laughs) Always small things. (laughs) Do you know? I mean, it's always small things that that get me going. Mm Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, uh, my f- the one that's got me going forever. I just can't. I I almost stopped travelling on the underground in London because of it, mm-hmm. because I realised I was going to get myself in trouble. Right. Um, they make an announcement on the underground, which I think they obviously got somebody in who said to them, "Do you know what? All this it, the way you make announcements is no good. It, it you you just tell people things. Mm-hmm. You just say to them." there will be a 10-minute delay mm-hmm. or l- trains are not running properly on the Metropolitan Line. Mm-hmm. That's no good. That's no good. No, you want to you give an upbeat thing to it, you know. <laughs> so they change the way they make announcements. So they're always, you know, see it, say it, sorted. What, so you know, snappy. I just go... Shut up! See it, say it's not. We all really know. proud of that in oh, in the office, God, though, haven't absolutely. they? Absolutely. <laughs> you know. I've heard recently. I, I was waiting for a tube the other day, and this voice came on, and it was like, "Hi, I'm Sarah. Welcome <laughs> to the underground." And I was like, "Why? Why are you introducing yourself?" I don't need to know your name. <laughs> it I was know. so weird. They do it all the time yeah. on on British Rail, or well, not no such thing as British Rail, but yeah. you know, on the on the trains, yeah. everything, all this high thing of just sort of you're a customer yeah. and we're providing a service for you. Uh-huh. you go, Look, all I want to know is: is the train running? <laughs> is it on time? 
can I get a seat? Yeah. I don't need to know anything else. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. when they say on the underground, there are delays on the Bakerloo uh, city lines, no service on the circle line between this station and that station, all other lines have a good service. Mm. Now, first of all, that's impossible. <laughs> because it's an interconnected service. Yeah. Hardly anybody goes anywhere on only one line. Mm. So if, for example, the Bakerloo line is running absolutely smoothly and I only ever use the Bakerloo line, then it probably can be called a good service <laughs> for me. But not for somebody who goes on the Bakerloo line, then onto the central yeah. line and onto the... It doesn't yeah, work yeah. that way. Mass. So it's no good. You don't. Mm. And secondly, don't fucking tell me it's good. <laughs> I'll decide that. <laughs> I'd, this is me on the underground. This is what I'm like. I, I, I don't need you to tell me it's a good service. Mm. I need you to tell me it's a full service. Yeah. I need you to tell me it's the service that was scheduled and or not. Mm -hmm. I don't need you to tell me whether you think it's any bloody good or not because, <laughs> personally, I don't think it's good at all. Wow. Yeah. So even when it's running full, I still don't think it's a good service. So don't, I don't need your bloody opinion, thank <laughs> you very much. And you're also bound to be biased because you work for them. Yeah. And this... I have to say, is what I say in response to that <laughs> announce, in a loud voice, standing, waiting for trains, wow. <laughs> and people look at me like I'm a nutter. I've had this discussion with people who work for London wow. Underground. Well, you think it's a good service. I don't think it's a good service. Don't tell me it's a good service. I'll make my mind up about whether it's a good service or not. Mm. The other one is just, it's just quantitative. Mm. It's, it's information. Yeah. There is a 10-minute delay. Yeah. That's information. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to mix the two. It's like mixing metaphors. I don't <laughs> like it. Noted. So that's it. That's yeah. the one that really gets me going. Yeah. So it's it's very simple things like that. Two that more. Two more. Yeah. I, I hate people talking on telephones mm -hmm. loudly on trains. Right. Now, this may be because I'm... It's very train-themed. <laughs> it is very train-themed, but I do a lot of commuting, and I, I back and forth to London living in Tunbridge Wells, so mm -hmm. it's understandable that it, it winds me up. Yeah. I was once on a train, and a man was sitting opposite me, and not only did he, first of all, take his telephone and have a long conversation about a case that he was handling. He was, a, I think, a lawyer, so I think mm -hmm. a solicitor. And he was handling a case and he was talking about the details of this case very loudly into his phone in a really crowded carriageway. Now, you have no idea who else is there. Yeah. Just on that basis, it's a bad thing to do. But also, isn't it? Surely that's discourteous, isn't it? Yeah. To completely ignore the fact that there are other people there sitting reading books or, or quietly talking to each other mm. or just looking at the paper. You booming into your phone... <laughs> I never answer the phone on the train without getting up and going to a mm -hmm. section of the train where you, you'd stand, so by yeah. the door or into a corridor area, you know, mm -hmm. or between the trains. Mm -hmm. I, I can't bear the idea of disturbing somebody else with my thing. Or if, if I can't get out, I would say to one, I'm, I'm really sorry, I'm on the train. Yeah. Could you call me back in about 15 minutes? Mm -hmm. Because I don't feel I have the right to take that call yeah. with all those people around me. Yeah, yeah. Now, the second thing this solicitor did was he put his phone down... And then he picked up his dictaphone in front of him and started di dictating letters to his secretary. Wow. Mm hmm Now, eventually, um, several of us on the train had caught each other's eye <laughs> and, and gone, Jesus Christ. Very British. Yeah, very British. <laughs> lots of tutting going on. Uh, eventually, he got up and he went to the loo mm. and he left his dictaphone on the table. <laughs> so I picked it up... <gasps> And I 
So, and I know how to work one because I used to be a solicitor. <laughs> and I pressed the button and I said, uh, could you put at the bottom of all these letters, this was dictated on a train in a public place. Thank you. <laughs> and I put it back down again. Wowie. Now, I don't think that man would have found out about it. I wonder if his secretary just did it. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> but it did it cheered everybody yeah, up on the yeah. train. Oh, and nice. Can you imagine if, in fact, <laughs> if, in fact, he'd listened to it while he was like, he oh, would God. have thumped me, wouldn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> OK, one more thing that makes you feel like shit. Well, to be serious about it mm-hmm. for a moment, the thing that does make me feel like shit is occasionally when my inability to filter myself mm. leads to me doing something that I, almost immediately I think, oh, you idiot. Mm. Oh, why did you do that? Why did you say that? Now, look look at the reaction you've got, you know. I mean, and it's a risk, mm. because if you're going to go through life making jokes or, or trying to be funny or, you know, trying to entertain people, which I do sort of in my everyday life if I can, mm. you know, there are occasions where people will just not get what you're on about and will yeah. turn and look at you. That's OK, but actually, occasionally, I've gone... I just know instantly as I'm doing it, I've gone too far. I've I've really gone too far. I was once in a hotel room in Hong Kong with a bunch of actors. We were on tour. Mm -hmm. We had a fantastic time. We'd been out. We'd had a massive meal out. and We'd come back, and it was about 1 o'clock in the morning. And I was a little bit older than the other people in the room. I felt older, I think. Mm. And they were all going, oh, God, this is brilliant. This is crazy. What a crazy lot. I mean, what a night. Just <laughs> mad. Absolutely bloody mad. And I thought, not really. Mm. We've only been out for dinner and, you know, had a few drinks in the bar. Not what I'd call crazy. And I went, yeah, completely crazy. And I threw my glass against the wall. There was absolute silence oh in this room God. as people stared at me as much as say, you know, really, what the fuck are mm. you doing? There was glass all over the carpet. Oh, God. And I immediately went, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But I'd just gone, this, no, that's not crazy. This is crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it really was crazy. Yeah. I'd, I'd gone slightly mad for a moment. Yeah. And, and I just think, oh, just a moment's thought. Yeah. Please, just yeah. in your life, just give things time. Mm. Which I've still not learned to do. <laughs> but those experiences when when you're on tour with people or stuff like that, it can become so intense that you're in your own little bubble. And mm. it's like people are kind of... It's like one-upping each other, isn't it? And it can just build and build and build and end it's up a strange thing. being through. I've never, I've never, you know, I mean, 41 years of marriage. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm fortunate to have 41 years of marriage. I'm fortunate mm-hmm. to have my... Children, and that's because I've never been, compl- I've never completely bought into the idea that being on tour is your own little world, mm. uh, which you know a lot of actors, particularly, buy into the idea that you know what happens on the road it stays on the yeah, road, that yeah. sort of thing. And you go, well, it doesn't really, mm. does it? You know, and I've known a number of people who've messed up relationships mm. and and lost people that they love as a result of not realising that actually Mm. you can't just do anything you want. Mm. Luckily, mine was throwing a glass against the wall. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And quickly came back down to earth, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, But um, uh, but anything else that would have put my... The thing that I treasure most at Mm. risk, I've always uh, known well before I got anywhere near it, that it was something to avoid. Mm. Okay, well, in opposition to this then, Mm -hmm. three things that make you feel like the shit. 
So make you feel great. Make me feel great. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I wish I had the nerve to be a stand-up comedian mm. because I love, I love the moments in my life where I've spontaneously done something that has made people laugh and, and you know, particularly on stage. Yeah. If you actually have the, the ability to just improvise yeah. and make something up. So have you never and tried it? I've tried a bit of improvisation, yeah. I, I, and I've done it with people who are absolutely brilliant at yeah. it. And no matter how, you know, there were moments where I thought, oh, that was okay. Mm. But generally, I was sort of scrabbling away. My it's legs were going mad skill, underneath. You know? yeah. yeah, scary. Mm. Uh, but, but occasionally you do something. So I've done a, I did a show in the West End called Scissor Happy, mm. which was half a play and then half improvisation. Wow. Uh, so halfway through the play, I played the police inspector, and it, uh, it was a, looked like a very typical, straightforward murder mystery type mm. play. And at one point, having there was a murder, then I question each person about where they were, and I get them alone, and I go through their their statements and talk to them about it. And then at the end of it, I just before the interval, I say to people, I turn to the audience and say, "Well, I don't know what to make of this case, but of course you were there, you saw what happened." Mm -hmm. So after the break, you can question people. Wow. And then the audience then through me put their hands up. I mean, I go to oh I went gosh. to the bar at the interval and sat there with a notepad and so people cool. go and said, You should ask him about this. He did this. Oh, did he? Thank you, madam. That's really <laughs> interesting. And I'd write down notes and then I'd go to people and say, you know, I'd put my hands up. Mm. And we would then improvise the answers wow. to it to it, which was very good fun. Yeah. I mean, eventually, sadly, it became something that we'd sort of improvised the answers to everything. Yeah, and yeah. and you, you found that you could you could always cherry pick you know you could yeah. just go back to something you've done something before that landed. yeah yeah so yeah. it didn't it, it became less fun mm -hmm. but to begin with when i first did it it was um it was amazing it was Wait. brilliant to be able to go i don't know what the question's going to be i yeah. don't know what you're going to say and i yeah. just then said you know off we'd go it was it was great yeah but you've never tried stand-up because I always think that stand-up, kind of like what you're saying, when you can make someone laugh, it's just the best feeling. Um, yeah. But, I, God, it just seems like the most terrifying thing in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure it is. Yeah. I mean, and I'd like to have the nerve to do it. I mean, I don't mm. think you should ever say never, mm. and I think it would be interesting to try it now yeah. at my yeah, age. Yeah, definitely. I mean, how many stand-ups are there at my age? Mm. You know? There aren't yeah. really. I mean, actually, there are. Mm. All, but they all—they've all been doing it for thirty-five yeah, years. Yeah. You know, so they're—they're they're all really established and have yeah, been around yeah. forever. People like Arnold Brown, who was doing stand-up at the comic strip mm. when I at the comedy store before that, before before I even started in the business. You know, and he's still going, oh. and he's a god of the stand-up world, god. but not terribly famous. Yeah. I've done pantomime, mm. where in pantomime there's always a moment where. You can either do it in a very organised way. So, for example, when you have to do the bit where you just call out people's birthdays and yeah, yeah. those things, yeah. you can just go, we've got so-and-so, he's five, hello, lovely, great, and we've got Peter, he's yeah, six, yeah. good, great, OK, let's all sing happy birthday, happy yeah. birthday, and it's done. Mm -hmm. Whereas I, I saw it as an opportunity yeah. to improv. Yeah, yeah. I would try to, on each person, to tell a joke about each situation. Mm. And had some worked, some didn't, you know. But you, you would try, for, off the top of your head, wow. to just think of something funny to say about yeah. each situation. And I really enjoyed setting yeah. myself that task. Wow. 
in fact, it kept me going all the way through the whole run, you know. Wow. It was the thing that I look forward to yeah. most, is walking out there with this list of people I'd not read before, and there it is, and off you go. Mm. It was great. And I have improvised some... Of, and I remember a line I once improvised in that situation where there was somebody saying, so-and-so, and they've come all the way from Leeds or something. And I said, well, that's a long trip. You, you come down to see people for Christmas? And they said, yeah, yeah. And I said, anybody else? I said, who's come the furthest? Who in the audience has come the furthest? And this... Um, Hand went up and the fellow said, yes. And he said, I, uh, Chicago. <laughs> and I said, wow, all the way from America. What, just to see this? You're going back straight afterwards? And he said, he said, no, no, we came for Christmas. I said, oh, great. I said, well, you know, pantomime. Well, you know all about pantomime in, in America, don't you? So there you call it a presidential election. <laughs> <laughs> and I improvised. It came out of my head. Wow. And I'm, you know, so I'm dead chuffed at yeah, that. So and I'd love to yeah. do more of that. Yeah, you should. <laughs> Two more things that make you feel like the shit. I feel very proud when my children do things that mm. uh, you know that I I sort of feel a certain responsibility for it. Yeah, I glean a certain amount of credit. Yeah, which is nice. Mm. You know, so yeah, I love it. I love every time they do things. You know, yeah. and I feel like I absolutely adore when my grandchildren turn up, <gasps> and I see them a lot. Yeah. I see them regularly. Mm. But I love the fact that they always, you know, charge in and hug you and, yeah. and you know, and are delighted to see you and have got something to say straight away mm. and that they know that you're going to be engaged with them. Wow. And it's just, you know, you get to do the most extraordinarily simple things that in a way quite often you didn't have the time to do when you were a parent. Yeah. Being a parent is hard work and there's always a demand on your time that there may not be when you're a grand parent because quite often you will say yeah I'll look after them mm. and that's it you have nothing else to do you yeah. clear the clear the decks mm-hmm. right what are we going to do kids yeah yeah and I've always been that way, way with children I've always felt that children should take precedence mm. uh, I've, uh, there are people who that idea that a children should, child should be seen and not heard I thought was completely absurd yeah I've hated that saying all my life mm. I think the children are the first thing that should be seen and heard. <laughs> if a child is in a room, adults should be making a point of listening to them. Mm. You know, if a child says, Mum, Mum, and they go, I'm talking, darling, and we're just having a conversation here. Now, or I understand that a child has to learn, and will eventually learn, mm. that you don't just barge in on a conversation. You know, Not that I don't do that. <laughs> so, you know, very why true. shouldn't they be allowed yeah, to do yeah. it? If I've got something very, really interesting to say, I will say to people, whoa, 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 everyone, listen. <laughs> yeah. Because I think it's an interesting, really interesting thing. And that's what children are thinking when they have this thought. You know, why are apples green, Mum? (laughs) This is an important question at that moment. They want to know. And I think you should, you should, you know, we're adults. Mm. We have the ability to delay our response or to pick up a conversation again and say sorry and go back to what we were talking about. Mm. But if a child wants to know something or talk to some about something or tell you something... I think one of the best things I ever did, and this came out of, um, I get bored easily. Mm-hmm. I was on holiday. It was a fantastic holiday. I, a friend of mine was staying in a chateau in France, mm. which he'd been lent by Miles Copeland, who was the manager of the police at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the brother of Stuart Copeland, the drummer from the police. Wow. So this huge chateau, and he said, we're staying in this chateau. Miles has lent it to us. Um, Come and stay. Mm-hmm. So we were in France and we drove down and stayed in this fabulous chateau with all sorts of really lovely people uh, and people who are now extremely well-known. Mm-hmm. And we had a fabulous holiday. 
And they, a lot of them were there with their young children. Now, mm -hmm. by this point, my children were, were grown up. My children were, were in their late teens. Mm. So they were looking after themselves. They were mm. off on their own holidays by mm. then. And my wife and I went down without any children. It was one of our first holidays without them. And there were lots of three, four, five, six-year-olds. And it may be something to do with having children when you're a bit older, but they sort of, they were the sort of parents who were, darling, darling, we're talking. You know, and, yeah. and I, I was... So I became like a, like the um, the children's entertainer. I would take I was just off with the children, playing with them all the time. <laughs> I spent all my time at the swimming pool mm. just playing with these kids, wow. because their parents sort of seemed to have almost lost the ability to play with them a bit. You know, I think you can do you can do that. It's or in fact, like... they're on holiday; they want to have a rest. Yeah. You know, I don't blame them. Yeah. Whereas I liked children, and I didn't particularly want to have a rest. I wanted something to do. Now every evening. Uh, they would cook food for their children, which meant they all went to the kitchen to mm -hmm. cook. And their children would be outside. And I say to them, I'll, I'll look after the kids. I'll keep an eye on the kids, don't worry. So um, one evening in this chateau, some people we knew didn't have children were playing tennis in the tennis courts, which were a little walk off through some woodland to these mm -hmm. beautiful tennis courts. And I said to the kids, should we go and see the people playing tennis? You want to go for a walk through the woods? Mm -hmm. And they went, OK, yeah. I said, come on, we'll have an adventure. So we went out through the gates of the chateau into its own private woodland, walked through these pathlands. And as we were going, I was telling them that it was the part of France where there used to be money trees. There were lots of money trees in that part of France, mm -hmm. and that's where most of the money came from. <laughs> uh, they used to grow it. You used to be able to get it from trees. Uh, so there was a, a happy time because everybody had, you know, you needed money, you just got it from a tree. Yeah. It's great. But, um, but sadly, people got greedy and most of them, you know, well, all the money trees are cut down, so there aren't any money trees left. So now we have to be careful with money because, mm. you know, it would be great, wouldn't it, if you could have a place where you just got money from, you know, out of a tree. <laughs> and while I was doing this, I was leaning against an oak tree, which earlier that day I had gone out with tons and tons of the tiny little coins that you get on holiday. <laughs> yeah. And I had liberally sprinkled these things wow. into the bark of all the trees all over this woodland. Wow. So there were... Dozens and dozens of trees with mm. money sticking out of them. Oh, God. And I, I kept talking about it until one kid suddenly went, oh, look. <laughs> and I went, what? He went, look, there's, there's money. I went, no, 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 there aren't any money trees left anymore. They went, yeah, there, there, there. I went, oh, my God. Oh, my God, I think we found a money tree. Wow. See if there were any others. And they scattered, these children mm -hmm. scattered all over this woodland. Wow. And were screaming and running around and having, the, oh, my God, the excitement. God. And they all came back with handfuls of money. And, oh, we're rich. Brilliant. We ran back yeah. and told their parents. They couldn't <laughs> wait to tell their parents. They were furious with yeah. me. <laughs> Never go into a forest with their children again. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. He God. thought I'd, I'd ruined their sense of, you wow. know, <laughs> oh, that's so funny. You've though. taught my children that money comes from trees. <laughs> they really believe you, you idiot. God. <laughs> Forever shaking trees. And yet those children are now all adults themselves. Wow. Yeah. And and I never see any of them without mm. one of them mentioning that. Wow, how amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. It's I, I think maybe it's one of the most uh one of the things I'm most proud wow. of in my life. Something that makes you lose your shit in a positive and a negative way. Well, again, tied in with, I mean, completely tied in with the same thing, really, is I, I hate people being unfair with children. Mm. I, it may even go back to my own childhood. I mm. remember 
being in a swimming competition. And my teacher had said, you can get a 440-yard badge. That's that you have to do. Uh, I think that was, that would have been 10, laps, 10 lengths. Mm-hmm. And I said, I think I can do 20. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, Michael, there's not enough time. I said, no, I'm a really good swimmer, miss. I could, you know, can I go for it? And she said, well, you can go for it, but you won't do it, not in the time. Wow. And I swam these 20 lengths, and I got out of the board, and I said, I've done it, miss, I've done mm. it. And she said, no, you've got one length to go. <sighs> and I said, no, I can't have one length to go. No. Because that would make it an odd number. Yeah. And she said, there is one length to go I've been counting. Oh, God. And she wouldn't give me the badge. Oh, no way. Wow. So I, I, maybe that's instilled it's in me. I hate you, yeah. it when children yeah. are clearly right. Yeah. And yet an adult does that thing of, well, I'm an adult, and mm-hmm. therefore you do what I say. Mm. It's almost I, like they've lost contact with their own like inner child playfulness as well. There's like mm. a lightness that they've lost. Certainly lost the ability yeah. to admit they're wrong. Yes, yeah. And finding it embarrassing to, to have a child know more than you. Now, why? It's so wild when you hear that teachers are like this as well, because like you're literally going into profession with children. <laughs> so you should be looking for yeah, them to be and you brighter should, than yeah, you. Yeah, and you should enjoy their company, but it seems mm-hmm. like a lot of the time you get teachers who want the power, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, absolutely certainly think that they're right and the child yeah. is always wrong. Yeah. And uh, I think quite often children will see right through all the... Mm. Well, they will see the wood for the trees. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Which is which is a good thing. So that that annoys me. Mm-hmm. That really you know, that makes me lose my shit. Yeah. And then something that makes you lose your shit in a positive way. Great singing. Mm-hmm. Great singing always gets yeah. me. And that's all sorts of great singing. Singing when it's uns- when it's unexpected, mm. when somebody you don't expect to be able to sing sings well. Oh, yeah. Singing which is actually not necessarily brilliant, but is brilliant in itself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I once. Has heart. Yeah, I went to a... Yeah. Um, it, absolutely, where it, where it comes from a place that, that is moving. Yeah. There was a postman uh, it, that I knew, and I once saw him in, in a pub near me sing karaoke, and he's a very quiet, shy man. Mm-hmm. And somebody said to him, up you get, and he, he came up right at the end of the evening, and, and I thought, oh. And he started singing, it was very tentative, and it wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. But he sang... Gold by Spandau Ballet. Wow. And when he got to the chorus, he went, gold! And the entire pub leapt to their feet <laughs> and put their hands in the air and shouted, gold! <laughs> and his face lit up. Yeah. And off he went. Yeah. From that moment, he was suddenly, he was Tony Hadley. Wow. It was really fabulous. Mm. And I've never forgotten it. I've never forgotten the power of, you know, what an audience could do for a performer, not yeah. the other way around. Yeah. You know, and remembering that that actually you are, in a way, feeding off that audience. Definitely. You, be, you absolutely rely on an audience. And, and it, it, it annoys me when actors have contempt for an audience, which sometimes they do. Performers yeah. will say, oh, it's a terrible, terrible crowd tonight. Terrible audience. And you go, really? When all those people all came together, all that sort of 750 or 1,000 people all happened to be in the same shit mood Mm. and all decided that they weren't going to enjoy your brilliant (laughs) performance. Or what is more likely, that Mm. they all did that and they all happened to do it at the same time or you weren't very good tonight? (laughs) Yeah. 
True, mm-hmm. very true. Yeah. yeah. I remember going to, um, I went to Lisbon and someone had said to me, you need to go and see fado singers. Um, that's like the traditional Portuguese music. Mm. And um, so we, f- we looked up online and we found the number one place. And long story short, it ended up accidentally being a Michelin star restaurant that I'd booked me and my friend to go to. <laughs> um, but they had these fado singers and they were like classically trained and they came out in like their like black uniforms and sung beautifully and it was very nice but on the way home um, we ended up walking past all of these pubs with free fado singing uh. and so we sat down and had a drink and this guy just stood and sung with no music this traditional Portuguese song and his voice was fine but his heart it meant so much more to him than mm. it did to the professional classical yeah. singers and it felt way more moving and special i guess Mm. because yeah yeah i mean that's what professional singers are always looking for yeah is to be able to reproduce that exactly yeah 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 Yeah. it's what makes somebody special it's what makes somebody with not a great voice Mm. a great singer okay a moment that you found some shit out about yourself um I've always found out. I've always found shit out about myself through the advice of my wife. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily at the moment she gives it. Right. You know, I might well often say, "Yeah, what do you know about it?" Mm. But generally, and in fact, almost always, she's right. <laughs> you know, and these are lessons that, in some cases, it's taken me a long time to learn. Mm. When I was young, I had uh, I had a bad temper, mm-hmm. which I'd got from as a child. I had a bad temper. I would lose my temper quite often. And that, that filtered into my um, young life. So I would get very... I would get angry about things when, when in fact, it, it was far better if I'd stayed... would have been far better if I'd stayed calm. Mm-hmm. Or, in fact, there wasn't that much to get angry about. I would write my own stories, you know, in my head. Mm. I would create a situation which made it look unfair. When, in fact, it was just coincidence mm. or it was just somebody doing something that I didn't expect them to do. Yeah. And and I'd find myself furious about it, storming around the house, going, bloody chick, how dare they? She, what, what, what's happened? And I'd tell this to her, my wife say, would say, is that actually what happened or did... And I'd go, yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what that was about. Well, that's what you've decided it's about. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So that's a lesson, that's a lesson, that's a self-improving lesson that has taken a long time to learn, to not always see things the way that you, you know, you feel they they probably are meant. Yeah. You know, because they're not necessarily meant that. People just say things. People just do things. And certainly what that lesson is, and that's a hard lesson for anybody to learn, is that life isn't always about you. Yeah. It really isn't. You yeah. know, and for most people, you being there in the room is, is sort of irrelevant. Yeah. yeah. Get over it. It's so easy to trick yourself into thinking that you're... Because obviously you're the main part in your own world, but mm. other people are having that same experience about themselves. Yeah, and, yeah. You're just a support character in their, in their film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they didn't do it in order to wind you no. up. No. They weren't even thinking about you. Yeah, 
Yeah, God, that is a good lesson. The shittest piece of advice you've received. The shittest piece of advice I've ever received Mm -hmm. was somebody who said to me, uh, a funny line in a funny... with (laughs) It's so terrible. (laughs) It was a director who said Mm -hmm. to me, no, Michael, no, a funny line goes up at the end. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. if I'm saying something I say and it goes with has energy that goes through to the end? <laughs> that makes no sense. And I, he said, you're throwing it away. I said, right. I know. I know I'm throwing it away. That's, that's a funny way to do it. Yeah. He said, no, 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 no. Comedy lines have got to have energy right to the end. All the way to the end. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes, uh, generally, that's, that's a good piece of advice because... Yeah. To make a joke work, you want it to be clear. You want to, you know, you don't mumble the last line mm. of a joke because people won't hear it properly. Yeah. Say it clearly, say it boldly. Mm. But actually, quite often in comedy, the best thing to do is to ignore the fact that it's funny. And throw it away. Throw almost, it away. Yeah. Or just say it. Yeah. Just let it happen. Let the other person work out that it's funny. Yeah. Don't tell them that it's funny. Yeah. And he absolutely insisted... He, he just, he would say, ah, oh, no, no, again. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And I'm just shouting everything in the end. Yeah. Just hopeless. makes it feel quite eggy as well, as opposed to, like, subtle, you know? Yeah, there was no subtlety involved at all, oh, no. I mean, the moment he disappeared, we all completely changed <laughs> yeah. our performances, which yeah. is, you know, there's a lesson for all directors. Yeah. You know, you, you may well come back and they say, oh, God, the director's in tonight. Now, does anybody remember the performance he told us to give? <laughs> Because I know none of us are doing it anymore. <laughs> OK, shit you wish you'd known sooner. I wish I knew that I could give up cigarettes. <sighs> I can't tell you how many years I struggled with cigarettes. Really? With the absolute conviction that it was something I just can't. I don't know how. I can't. I've tried. Every mm. time I try, it goes wrong. Every time I try, I go back to it. Oh, God. You know, and anyway, I, I tried. Now look at the weight of me. I've, I've just put on... You know, three pounds. Mm. Just bollocks. Yeah. Absolute bollocks. I could have just stopped like that. How did you give up in the end? I stopped. Did you? Mm. My dad was the same. He smoked for years and then one day it was just cold turkey and he was able to do it. Yeah. Well, in fact, you know, I mean, the medical facts about smoking are that within a couple of days, your body Mm. is clear of it. You're clear of the nicotine, you're clear of the tar, you know, your lungs start to recover almost immediately. Within a year, it's almost you know the, the, it's hard to tell that you were ever a smoker wow. if your if your body's examined. Yeah, it's really extraordinary how how quickly the body will yeah. repair itself and will get rid of this thing. But you will continue to tell yourself that you you're addicted to nicotine. You have to have nicotine, mm. and, uh, and nicotine is uh, an insidious drug. Yeah, it's a terrible thing. I yeah. recently walked into the garden. Having not smoked for a long time, I walked into the garden and been working in my office all day mm. and went into a complete panic. I couldn't work out why. And eventually I worked out it was because I didn't have my cigarettes with me. Wow. And my brain was saying, you haven't got any cigarettes. Gosh, that's so interesting. It, it definitely... It hadn't left me. Yeah. It, I, I feel like I have friends who struggle with smoking and it's because it's so part of their routine and their habit and Mm -hmm. it's almost like they don't want to give that up. They don't want to give up the coffee with a cigarette in the morning and that's a bit of them time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's... I think that's the thing that they hold on to. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not an unpleasant thing. It is an unpleasant thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't remember a single time that I ever smoked a cigarette and it basically wasn't 
virtually the same as it was the first time I did it, which was horrible. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? You do something, mm. it's horrible. Your mates go, well, you know, you'll get used to it. And yeah, you keep going. You endure. You make yourself addicted. You suffer it until yeah. you, can, you, can, you can manage the suffering. Yeah, yeah. And then you keep doing it. And then yeah. you wake up in the morning and feel terrible because of it. Mm-hmm. You, you cough, you smell, you know, you spend a lot of money. It's weird. Mm. You, you give up things because of it, yeah. for it. I can't tell you the number of times I put my parents off from coming to visit me wow. or left my parents' house early because I wanted a cigarette. Mm. I had to have a cigarette and I didn't smoke in front of them. They didn't Gosh. like me smoking, so I pretended I didn't. Wow. I mean, the idea that they didn't know I smoked <laughs> is absurd because yeah. you stink. Yeah. I would have a cigarette just before going in. They would know I smoked <laughs> and yet they get, went along with the pretense Everyone as well. Pretends. Yeah, we all pretend. And the truth is, with cigarettes that you can just go, I'm not going to do it anymore. It's like any addiction, though, isn't it? It has to be you making that decision to do Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I have every sympathy for, for anybody who, who, you know, having tried it for a couple of hours, grabs a cigarette and sticks it in their mouth <laughs> and lights it. So, oh, thank God for that. Yeah. You know, because I've done it a million wow. times. Yeah. But having I, a friend of mine, we were in this in that band that I talked about. We're in mm-hmm. the band together. And I remember whilst we were in this band and performing together, him saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to stop smoking. It's it's affecting my singing voice. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, well, actually, it's making my voice better. It's making <laughs> yeah. it a bit deeper and gruffer yeah. and more interesting. Rock and roll. And it's sort of why I have this, you know, deep, gruff, <laughs> <Yeah>. abused <laughs> voice now. But um, but I remember thinking, oh, well, it's weird, you know, yeah. 28 or something. Why are you giving up cigarettes? Yeah. God, I wish I had. God. Okay, I also asked you to prepare mm-hmm. a shit shot, which is a photo um, that to the outside eye looks like you have your shit together when really it couldn't be further from the truth. It's a publicity photograph that was taken of me mm-hmm. in which I had to, to a large extent, I had to look like some sort of upper-class, confident, good-looking man. And mm-hmm. I have to say, in my 30s... <laughs> I was reasonably good-looking. I was slim and, you know, quite pretty. Mm. I had a good head of hair. It was greying, which was rather sort of appealing oh, yeah. at the time. Oh, yeah, salt and pepper. Absolutely, the yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was fit. I, you know, I was a very fit man. I, I, I'd exercised a lot, and yeah. I had, so I was in, in very good shape. Mm-hmm. And I was dressed in a, a DJ, but you know, wing-collar DJ, but with the collar open and mm-hmm. the black tie undone and hanging down, mm-hmm. rather sort of James Bond-esque. Oh, very nice. Well, you'd think. <laughs> and if I'd look at it, and I can show it to people, and people say, oh, wow, good-looking bloke. <laughs> and, and I go, yeah, and I look at it, and I can see every tiny little bit of it where I just feel completely wrong. Wow. I just feel, oh, God, this is not me. Mm. I just... I. Look sexy. I'm not sexy. I'm not. Yeah. I'm just not. Wow. You know, some people just absolutely believe they are. I've yeah. never, never believed I was sexy. God, Whenever I've had yeah. to play sexy in my life, <laughs> it's the most embarrassing <gasps> thing. Mortifying. Awful, awful. Mm. I once wow. had to be... I once played a sugar daddy. <laughs> this is a man, man in his late 30s being a sugar daddy. Wow. Yes, to uh, to the brilliant actress, Romana Gary, mm. who's, who's done some amazing work. And I've worked with her since she's just a gorgeous woman. Yeah. But at the time, she was 19. She oh, was wow. younger than my daughter. She was doing, yeah. she was, yeah, maybe even early, maybe even younger, maybe 18. I think uh-huh. she was doing her A-levels. Wow. And she was studying for them in between takes. Oh, God. And we had to do snogging and all sorts of oh, things. Oh, my God. It, it was just the most awful thing. Yeah, yeah. 
And yet I had to look like this cool sort of man of the world right. who, you know, was getting what he wanted. Yeah. And it was the last thing in the world I wanted. Wow. And, and I'd constantly saying to him, I'm so sorry. <laughs> wow. Can you just cut her breast? No, I'm, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm yeah. really, I'm blushing to think about it now. Wow. Oh. Well, I look forward to seeing that photo. <laughs> <laughs> well, the photo, I look, you know, I'm leaning against the wall, looking yeah. very casual in my thing. Wow. But just, I can see that the the sort of half smile is is one of those slightly put on ones and, mm. and my my eyes are just a little bit inside there, yeah. just going, oh, God, please let me go home. Bit of imposter syndrome. Yeah, maybe. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. wow. <laughs> well, Michael. Yes. <laughs> Have you got your shit together? Have I got my shit together? Do you know I don't think I don't think I ever will have, <laughs> and I don't think anybody does. Yeah. I think that we all go through life doing the best we can, yeah. and the best thing to do, as a result of knowing that, is to be just a little more sympathetic towards people who make mistakes, yeah. which we all do. Yeah. And you see people make mistakes. You know, when you're driving a car and you're looking for somewhere to park or you're looking for a house, you don't know where it is, you don't know the region, or you go into the lane and, oh, God, no, this is the turning right lane and I wanted to go left and I wanted to go straight on and, mm. and you signal and, and people, bah, 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 what the bloody <laughs> hell? You know, and I'm as guilty of that as yeah. anybody. Oh, you bloody idiot. Oh, go on then. Yeah. You know, whereas, in fact, I, how everybody's done that. Yeah. Everybody does that all the time. Yeah. You know, just go, oh, you poor fellow. In mm. you go. Have a nice day. And all sorts of things, you know. I mean, going back to that thing, I do remember walking down the street after the tragedies in my life mm. and looking at people and thinking, I wonder if anybody else is going through what I'm going through. Mm. Because, you know, on the surface, I look completely normal, yeah. you know. And it had somebody bumped into me and I'd gone, oh, be careful, William, if I'd snapped at them or, you know. They would have gone, all right, mate. So true, know, yeah. All right. Nobody's died, have they? Mm. Yes, they fucking have. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You yeah. don't know. You don't Gosh. know what people are going through. Yeah. You don't know what their life contains. Mm. So we need to be, you know, that would be getting your shit together, I think, mm. if you could just remember that and remember to have sympathy for other people and don't always assume it's because they're an arsehole. Well, I think we'd all do well to remember that, really, going forward. <laughs> well, I've forgotten it already. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. It's been so lovely talking to you. Caitlin, it's always a joy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. This podcast is produced by Ant Hickman... The artwork is produced by Tim Saunders and the photography is by Patch Bell. A massive thank you to Cassia for letting us use their song Slow. See you on the next episode of Have You Got Your Shit Together. Now and then I'm just a little bit low I always try to lose my mind in a conversation with you